Thanks for listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos and the PCC Multiverse. Check out more great podcasts today on one of these awesome affiliate networks. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. The Tangibound Network. Check it out. Tangiboundnetwork.com. Listen to this show, the latest episode, every time. A proud member of the Good and Geek Network. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other geeky podcasts over at gunnageeknetwork.com and get ready because geekiness begins in 3, 2, 1. On this week's episode, we review IT Chapter 2. Forgotten stars worthy to hit the big time once again. And are you a bad boy for life? What you gonna do when they once again delve into... The Pop Culture Cosmos. Welcome to the Pop Culture Cosmos. And we're back with another episode of the Pop Culture Cosmos. This is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source, thanking you so much for listening to all of our great programs. But it wouldn't be a Pop Culture Cosmos without my good friend. He is our bad boy of Pop Culture Cosmos. You got to check out everything that we're doing today at popculturecosmos.com, popculturecosmos on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and so much more. It is my good friend. It is Josh Peterson. Bad boy, bad boy. What you going to do? What you going to do when they come for you? I'm, I'm going to run. I'm going to run. That's what all the bad boys do, right? Or bad make, boys for life, my friend. Or they make three movies that people may or may not be interested in anymore. Well, later on in the program, we will be talking about just that very thing because Bad Boys for Life, the trailer debuted last week. So we're going to talk about that coming up later on in the show. Plus also as well, speaking of stars maybe needing a vehicle to revive their once awesome career, we're going to talk about five stars that we feel are deserving of that type of vehicle to bring them back to superstardom. Plus we're also going to be talking about are 131 to 140 on our top 200 video games of all time. Plus, Jason Todd Feinberg from Honey Queen, he's going to let us know his thoughts on It Chapter 2. Plus, also as well, he's going to talk about some of the horror movies coming out for the rest of the year. It's not exactly the most scary crop of horror movies that are come out, and I think we're going to go ahead and talk about that as well coming up later in the program. But speaking of horror films, speaking of It Chapter 2, It actually did pretty good, almost, but not quite up to expectations this past weekend, earning $91 million at the box office and almost $200 million worldwide. So I got to ask you, my friend, when it comes to It Chapter 2, it does pretty good, not quite what the first one did, because that one just blew away all the expectations when it comes to horror films, but it did a very good job in earning almost $200 million worldwide. The plate is now set for a future involving Pennywise. There's been rumors, and actually I'll discuss this a little bit more with Jason Todd Feinberg later in the show about possibly even prequels being mentioned because you really can't go into the future with Pennywise, but you certainly can go back into the past. I see what you did there. You made a, uh, a pun about the movie going back and forth in the past, right? Is that what we're talking about? That's it. That is it. That is it indeed. 
I honestly, like, I don't want to admit, I'm going to probably go see the movie this week, so I don't want to make a lot of speculations on it, but I'm glad to see it's doing so well, honestly. like it, But you, you know, like, read the book. I have read the book, and the book is completely different from what the movie has portrayed. I admired what they did with the last film, and I love how it was not just a horror movie. It was kind of, it had drama in it, it had, it had some comedy in it, because you had the kid from Stranger Things doing his thing. And it, it was it was suspenseful, but it was it had its shock value. But that was not the whole movie, and that's what they try to do with the old '80s film is to go and completely shock audiences. Whereas this one had a lot of substance to it, so I'm glad to see that this is something that is sticking with audiences. And I am really stoked to see it. But you know, I don't want to set any standards for it right now because I'd rather watch it and then come back and talk about it. But it is something I am very excited to watch. But from your experience reading the books and your knowledge of Pennywise beforehand, let's put the movie out of context here. I want to just ask, could you see something as far as a prequel that Stephen King could have penned in regards to the Pennywise character? Because it does come up as far as the history of Pennywise maybe appearing. In fact, it's said for as far as when he was an alien landing on Earth. And then like this old story goes, every 27 years, 27 years, so... It could go back literally to hundreds or maybe even possibly thousands of years, theoretically, from the time that he landed every 27 years going into a new story each and every time. I don't know, man. Like, I mean, I'm sure it would find its audience somewhere, but it's one of those, it is one of those movies for me or books, I guess, properties where less is more, right? The less you know about this creature, the more terrifying he is. And if we were to go back and watch prequels about, if they made a prequel about, Pennywise and what he is, where he comes from, these two films that they have made recently would not be as scary as they are because what makes Pennywise so terrifying is the fact that we don't know much about him besides what Stephen King wants to give away in the books or the movies or whatever it is. And I think if you were to go back and really explore who Pennywise is, it would lessen the terror that he brings to the screen. That's actually a very good point. I, I, seeing it from that perspective, I can understand that. It would lessen the effect of anybody watching the It at Chapter 1 and It Chapter 2 because of the fact, like you said, if it went farther back into the realm of the It whole universe, let's put it in that sense, then it would probably create a lot of issues in regards to what well, we're seeing it now when it concerns other horror properties that are trying to go back and try and expand on, like, for instance, the Conjuring universe, because they're just trying to expand and just trying to rake every single dollar. They're trying to get into the history, into the lore even more. I mean, we're seeing where it's kind of losing its effect when it comes to the actual Conjuring movies, because you've gone so far into the other aspects of the whole conjuring series whether it includes the curse of la llorona the nun or anything in relation to that yeah i mean i guess like a spinoff would be one thing what would it be about i don't know this is where i think uh, using the dark tower as a jump off point for a lot of this stuff because pennywise is one of the things that escaped from the crevice in the dark tower you know a spinoff could be cool let me ask you this does it make you regret even more the decision that was made in this case by Sony, because you know the properties are all over the place. Sony owns some, Universal owns some, Warner Brothers owns some as far as the rights to all these Stephen King properties. Wouldn't it have been nice to have started out with a Dark Tower you know, as the center point, and then you go and you branch out from there with a series of Stephen King hits, and then you maybe circle back around to an ending for the Dark Tower as you know, like a like a beginning and the end, 
as far as Dark Tower because all these things are tied into it. Yeah, here's here's my thing with that. A lot of people didn't think Stephen King would ever finish the Dark Tower. So I think what the last book came out in 2006 or 2007, so a lot of people didn't even think he was going to be finishing that. They'd been making movies on, you know, the Dark Tower books long not Dark Tower, but Stephen King properties long before the Dark Tower had ended. So if they had started at the beginning and kind of had like, hey, here's the gunslinger, here's the drawing of the three, here's uh, Wolves of the Cala or whatever it is, and then they were trickling movies in between, and then we had one studio that owned all these movies, and they were deciding what movies went out where with the plan of bringing them all together in a coherent universe, much like the Marvel Cinematic Universe, it could have been spectacular. It could have been something that would have been dry. I honestly, in my opinion, I think it would have had more cinematic draw than the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But I think because Marvel set that president, they were the ones that, that showed that, hey, a connected universe can work. And a lot of studios followed soon after, or, you know, are, are trying to follow soon after with the, you know, monster movies, yada, yada. But I think that it was the idea probably sprung too late before they were even able to do anything about that or act upon that kind of success. And now all the Stephen King properties are too far spread out for them to even think about doing something like that. That is true because, you know, as you were saying that, I was thinking about the tone of all the different types of Stephen King properties that are out there. I mean, how could you, I, I know you're able to relate in the books, let's say the Shawshank Redemption, and then you're able to relate it to something from the Tommyknockers, or you're related to something from Pet Cemetery, or you're related to something from, let's say, Mr. Mercedes. I mean, you're able to go ahead and through the Dark Tower, able to connect bits and pieces of it. But as far as a tone, it would be really hard to do because you've got Shawshank, which is a totally different type of movie than what you would be seeing if you saw, let's say, The Stand, for instance, or if you saw anything in regards to a Stephen King horror flick, you know, The Shining, if we did you know, a reboot of that, or what, you're going to see Dr. Sleep here coming up, that's going to be coming out in November. I mean, you're right. It would be nice if you could tie it all in together. And he does in his own way, like you said, with the Dark Tower universe, but it, as far as if you're trying to do a film universe of it, it would it would kind of right. Uh, like you said, the tone it would just be so hard to really try to connect all the dots. Yeah, it would be something that'd be really cool to see happen. It's just it's too much, too late right now for them. And it, besides, like the the Dark Tower, it would be a nice surprise though. Can you imagine watching the the Gunslinger book or movies and then finding out later that they are connected to all these different horror franchises that you've been watching over the years. That would be really cool. But I just, I don't think the planning was laid out in that way. And now that Sony has ruined the dark tower and Amazon owns the dark tower. It's just, it's one of those things where they would have really had to plan it from the beginning in order for it to be executed correctly. It falls into the fact that there's so many of these Stephen King properties that are all over the place. In fact, it is a Warner brothers new line property. So I mean, it just, there would be no way that we could get them to play nice, nice. We couldn't even get Sony and Marvel to continue to play nice, nice with each other. So be that as it may, those dreams of a shared universe in its entirety with the Stephen King properties, unfortunately, at least in our lifetimes, will never happen. That would be so cool, though, if it did. Well, I know you'd be first in line, my friend. But once again, it is Stephen King's It Chapter 2 off to a pretty good start. Like I said, just 
under expectations. $91 million at the domestic box office here this weekend and almost $200 million worldwide. It is off to a good start. I don't think anybody really thought it was going to actually beat the $700 million worldwide that IT Chapter 1 did. But anything at this point, if it gets over $400 million, which it looks like it will do, is pretty much going to be gravy for the entire series. I mean, if New Line and Warner Brothers had drawn this up as far as recreating the IT series and then he's saying, hey, look, is there any way that it's going to garner over a billion dollars for the two movies? I think they both would have been ecstatic. So uh, it looks like overall the two movies are going to be a big success. Where it will go from here, it remains to be seen. Again, rumors say, and I will talk a little bit more about this with Jason Todd Feinberg later on in the show about it possibly going back in time. And we'll see where that goes from there because, you know, they just cannot avoid getting the chunk of change, the money from a Hollywood standpoint. They've got to go ahead and try and keep on going. So we'll wait and see what happens with the it universe when it comes to if it goes anywhere else, either before or after the events of it chapter two coming up maybe probably in the next two, three, four years. We'll wait and see. But It Chapter 2 at theaters is doing well right now. And again, it looks like it's going to be success for Warner Brothers and New Line. You're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. Don't touch that dial. Wait, do, do people still use dials? Listen up, all you gamers out there. Miracle Fruit Oil is ramping up the deals on its awesome Vitabrace gaming wristband. Vitabrace is clinically proven to help improve your gaming performance. Vitabrace will help you achieve your gaming goals, whether it's that single-player campaign, retro classic, or battle royale. Head on over today to MiracleFruitOil.com, and if you use the code VITABRACE50, you'll get half off on a Vitabrace gaming wristband, or use the code BUYONE-GET-ONE, and it's buy one, get one free. That's right, just use the code VITABRACE50 or buy and the number one, get and the number one today to get some great deals on some VitaBrace gaming wristbands. So check it out today at MiracleFruitOil.com. VitaBrace, win with it. My friend, speaking of movies that are out there, we're going to talk a little bit later in the show about Bad Boys for Life bad boys, bad boys, and all that. But those two stars, Will Smith and Martin Lawrence, they're in need of a vehicle to really get them going. Will Smith, Suicide Squad, really didn't do that great of a job as far as getting back into the limelight, I think, the way that he wanted to. Gemini Man, kind of still on the fence on that one. I'm still not 100% sold on that. So bad boys for life that may reinvigorate the audience's interest in him and Martin Lawrence. But we'll wait and see what people are still thinking about Martin Lawrence and, and Will Smith when it comes to Bad Boys for Life. But I wanted to ask you, my friend, there are a lot of stars that we've talked about in recent weeks when it concerns Gerard Butler. And we thought his career was maybe on life support, but it looks like it's getting a little bit of an electric shock with, with Angel Has Fallen, but also as well Eddie Murphy who's destined to come back. In fact, he announced that he's going back to do stand-up, I think probably for Netflix. He's gonna, So he's going to have some, some, hopefully, in the near future, maybe even as early as next year, have some live stand-up shows that are going to be on Netflix that we can watch. And I can't wait for that. I know you can't either because of the tremendous amount of success that he had in his career. So those are two stars destined to come back for at least some type of stardom. But I wanted to ask you, is there a list of five stars that you have off the top of your head 
or that I actually gave you a few minutes to think of that you think are deserving of a vehicle that will bring them back to superstardom. Yeah. How do you want me to do this? Just name my five stars. Just name your five stars, my friend. All right. So I got Sam Worthington, whose career was ruined by James Cameron. We can all thank him for that. Avatar. Who knows? Maybe the uh, Avatar movies will skyrocket him to fame and fortune once again, but he'll probably be like 80. I disagree with you on that. I think Avatar brought his name to life, and then he tried to cash in with a lot of bad projects. Uh, I don't know, man, because I feel like he kind of... Terminator Salvation and... But, no, the movie was bad, but he was really good in the movie. Same thing with, like, Clash of the Titans, Wrath of the Titans. They weren't great movies, but he played the part really well. So I feel like he just needed maybe a couple more films to kind of launch him into the spotlight before he became, like, a, you know, like a Vin Diesel or something like that. And I think because he was so, he was booked up so hard with Avatar, he didn't really get the chance to do any of that stuff. Vin Diesel found a pretty good vehicle for himself. Quite literally, including the pun there. It's just because who knew that looking like you were perpetually on your way to the yacht club could really make you that famous, <laughs> right? Yeah, that's true. That's true. Go ahead with your list, my friend. My other star, I got Kate Beckinsale, who I hear is actually a terror to work with in real life. But I always admired her. And not just because I had a, an Underworld poster in my room as a teenager, but because, I don't know, there's just something about her, man. Like, she... She, you could tell there's actresses and actors. I think Pete Davidson had one too. <laughs> right, probably. But you can always tell when people are in movie or in projects that they don't really believe in, but they still are able to pour themselves into it. That was always Kate Beckinsale in the Underworld movies for me. Next, I got Seth Green, who I, besides being in Mass Effect and an Italian job, like I, I just, I feel like he could have been a little bit more than he was. But he's so good behind the scenes. He's doing a lot of different... I mean, Robot Chicken... He is. Robot Chicken, Family Guy, stuff like that. He still does pretty well with that stuff. Joshua Jackson is my other sleeper here. Mighty Ducks was a good movie, and that kind of got him started in the spotlight. But I was actually a huge fan of Fringe. Did you ever watch that show? Occasionally. I was not a diehard on that. Okay, well, see, after the first season, you had to watch it diehard to to get it, because it only lasts like five seasons. But it was a really really good show and i thought that he held his own okay he was he's a good actor he's very monotone but like he's a lot better than a lot of the people i see on tv right now my last star is one you and i will probably agree on is taylor kitsch so here i'm a huge fan of the john carter books right so i feel like if they had put that property in the hands of someone who's actually capable of doing live action stuff unlike andrew stanton apparently it could have turned out better for the, the fact that he was in those films and they failed because they just weren't written very well. They could have been good. It's not the property that was bad. I think it's just the writing that was bad. But what are your thoughts on that? I'm actually kind of a fan of John Carter, the movie. I know it could have been shortened up quite a bit. There are things that could have been done to make it even more palpable to a larger audience. But you know, in and of itself, I think John Carter, it could have... Uh, I liked it, but it could have been a whole lot better. There were things that could have been done to it, things that could have been taken out of it. The female star, I thought, was just just tremendous in her role. I, I just I liked liked her a lot in that role. Taylor Kitsch was someone that I thought was also deserving because. But after that, he also did Battleship, so his choices as well were not exactly the best because after he got John Carter and Disney, 
which wasn't the big monumental flop everybody makes it out to be because it did garner, I believe, in a neighborhood of about $300 million worldwide. But it's still, I don't think they made a profit of it and anywhere near that. But it wasn't the huge whopping flop that I think a lot of people tried to you know, say it was. But Taylor Kitsch did Battleship soon after that and so, so did liam neeson though so let's not forget that yeah but liam neeson i think he did those little taken movies and i think his career was doing okay after that but taylor kitsch yeah he was the the face behind battleship i think a lot of people relate that and just unfortunately his career went down from there although he has been a very good supporting character on several films if people are looking for a film on maybe let's say a friday night or whatnot that's on video, just wanted to stream something, check out American Assassin. He does a great job in that movie. I know it's something we talked about about a couple of years ago when it came out, but it's something that a lot of people missed, it, but it did financially okay at the box office. I think people need to go ahead and check that out. But yeah, Taylor Kitsch is someone who could use a vehicle. In fact, he is on my list as well of the five individuals that I think that could really use that type of vehicle. For me, I think Jim Carrey. I think Jim Carrey, not in a comedic role, I think his dramatic chops from some of his dramatic roles from the 90s and also Sunshine of the Spotless Mind or Eternal Sunshine e- of the Spotless Mind. E- eternal, eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. I think yeah, Eternal role. Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. He was brilliant in that movie. He had several good roles mixed in with all the crazy silliness that I think a lot of people got tired of. And it's just a shame because he's actually a very good actor. And I know he still does a lot of stuff out there, but not all of it is connecting. Some of it's just streaming stuff at this point in time. But I think Jim Carrey, if he was given a good dramatic role, could really knock it out of the park. Catherine Heigl, I know a lot of people say who, but she was the queen of rom-com around the, the turn of this decade. I think a lot of people forget that. She was appearing in almost every rom-com that was out there. And as an actress, she's not someone that's going to impress you, but she was someone at the height of her career was looking really good as that she would always be thought of in that context as, as almost on a superstar-like level. Now, if she was given that opportunity again, I think she'd do very well at it, but she has burnt a lot of bridges with what she said in the past. And now she's trying to be very apologetic. She's trying to be very remorseful. Now that her career's in the toilet, and I, as I was remarking to you before we went on the air, flush the toilet, and that might be her career at this point in time, because she went for the height of rom-coms. You know, she went down. She couldn't even get on movies anymore. She went to TV series. The TV series she, she was starring on, she they were all failing. So then she went on to co-starring appearances, and now she's you know she's not able to do that as much. So now she's on Netflix series. That's the best she can do right now. So. I think if you gave her one more chance, she might be able to do well with it. Will it be her going back onto Grey's Anatomy? That's for her and Grey's Anatomy to come up with as far as that's concerned, because I know she burned a lot of bridges there. For me also as well, Nicolas Cage. And I think Nicolas Cage, you know, talk about a tarnished reputation. From the time I actually met him and Charlie Sheen way, way long ago, back into the 80s, before his career really took off to where it was at the height of his career in the 90s and early 2000s to where it is now, where it's just, you know, he's just a shell of himself at this point. I still think there is a good role for him out there. I don't know what that is. I know he he got a great role in Kick-Ass 
a lot of people forget about that. In fact, Jim Carrey had a great role in Kick-Ass 2. So, you know, put those two together right there for you. But Nicolas Cage would be somebody I like. would love to go ahead and see get another opportunity. Uh, not a National Treasure 3. Nicolas Cage, if he ever gets a chance to ham it up again, I think he would be able to go ahead and knock it out of the park. And then last but not least, I threw this name out at you, and you were kind of surprised. It kind of took you back. But Keenan Ivory Wayans. And, and the, the talent that this man had with In Living Color and the movies that he created in the 90s, just a very skilled individual, especially behind the camera, but also on it as well. And you know he would get his entire family. The, all of them have great talent. And I think him getting one more vehicle to go ahead and, and put out there, either on a major streaming format or a movie, I think would actually do very well. That would just That's just my opinion, man. What do you, What do you think? I I mean I'd be interested to see it. I, I just You I'm, notice I put two in Living Color alumni in there. No, I see. I noticed that. Was was Keenan the one for Major Pain? No, that's Damon. Oh, oh, that's right. That's right. Keenan was uh, the star of I'm a white, you sucker. The white girls? Was that? No, that was uh was that it might I mean, have been White Girls. I have to look into that. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm going to get you Sucka. It's probably one of my favorites with him. So I'll have to go back and watch some of his stuff. I, I remember the name and I remember the face. I just don't, I can't place him right now. Watch In Living Color. Watch some episodes or some skits on YouTube of In Living Color. You'll be glad you did. I mean, it just, just the skill that they were showing. I mean, at that point in time, you could realistically say that the cast of In Living Color was much more skilled than what Saturday Night Live was doing at that time. I mean, that might be controversial to say, but to me, that uh, that's what I think. I mean, Keenan Ivory Wayans, he directed White Chicks, but he did not star in it. That was his That was his brother. Sean and Marlon Wayans were actually the, the guys playing the White Chicks in that, but he did direct it. And, uh, you know, he's got a long career behind the camera, but I also think that he still has something left to give in front of the camera as well. So, yeah, that's that's what I think, so... If you folks out there have five or even one individual, one star that's out there that you think will go ahead and be that type of star individual out there that if if given the chance that could resurrect their career to the point where they're a star once again, please let us know. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. Also, all PopCultureCosmos, Humanity Media, and GameSource on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Well, my friend, speaking of a star that gets a vehicle brought back to them for superstardom, we talked a little bit about it here a little bit ago. Bad Boys for Life, the trailer dropped last week. Your thoughts on it? Is there any juice left in this series? You know, we've talked about this again and again and again. Studios wanting this nostalgia factor and bring it back to life. So I ask you, is bad boys for life something that could be a vehicle for martin lawrence and will smith to come back into the hierarchy of popularity with audiences once again i don't think so i mean it could be something for them to make it back into movies in my opinion it's the same thing like the expendables we see these guys popping back up in these action films and it's cool to see them all back together, but you don't see them in a lot of highly successful films following that. So I think it's something that odd people want to see. Yeah, we, we they've been talking about Bad Boys 3 for years. 
So maybe it'll do well, maybe it won't, but I don't see this being like a return to form for them where, you know, Martin Lawrence is shooting another national security movie. Will Smith is doing another Independence Day. I just, I don't see that being the case here. I think as long as they kept the, the cost low, I think it's something that could turn a nice little tidy profit because there could be some nostalgia factor there. It all depends on when it's getting released. I think it's being released in the earlier part of next year, if I'm not mistaken. I'll have to check into that. But I, I think there's still some type of nostalgia left for the Bad Boys series. It didn't leave on a bad note. So I think when it comes out in 2020, I think there's going to be a lot of people that are still interested to some extent. Whether or not it's going to be able to extend itself further and become a big hit and, and bring Martin Lawrence and, to some extent, Will Smith back into the forefront. Because Will Smith's star is fading a little bit, I have to say. He's still someone that could get those roles that could put him in the, in the hierarchy. I mean, Gemini Man, we just talked about. But I'm not sure if it's going to get him to the point where, where he once was as the premier actor in all of Hollywood. But, yeah, Bad Boys for Life, if promoted properly it could come out in 2020 and, and maybe do a little something to garner some audiences. Does anyone have any thoughts out there on bad boys for life? Let us know popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Well, coming up after the break, it's Jason Todd Feinberg from honey queen. He's going to talk about it. Chapter two, his thoughts on the movie, plus some of the horror movies that are coming out for the rest of 2019. It's kind of a disappointing bag to be honest with you, there's not many horror movies coming out for the rest of the year, and that's what we talk about as well, coming up right after the break. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos. Get ready for Box Art, a gaming docuseries from Pyre Productions and Rob McCallum Films. If you love video games, chances are there's a box cover or cover image that you love and has stuck with you for decades. In our series, Box Art, we travel across North America to visit with the unknown illustrators and artists responsible for creating the most iconic gaming images of all time. What was once scheduled to be a 90-minute documentary is now a six-episode season packed with unbelievable tales that paint a picture of the gaming industry you've never imagined. Just one of the many pop culture projects from Rob McCallum, Empire Productions. And we're back with the show. It's Gerald Glass. We're coming right back at you here. I'll tell you what, it's... <laughs> it is a good time to have a lot of great horror movies that are out there because the fall season is now upon us. It Chapter 2 has kicked things off this past weekend with a lot of scares, a lot of frights, and there's so much more to talk about when it comes to the horror movie genre. And as always, each and every year, who better to talk about the horror movie genre than my good friend? You got to check out actually his personal vlogs as well because I always love it when there's a certain controversial issue that comes up in pop culture and that he's always willing to speak his mind. It is my good friend. It is Jason Todd Feinberg. Jason, always great to have you on the show, my friend. Yeah, so now I guess it begins and it ends. So last night I got treated to a screening of It Chapter 2. And, okay, really, really long to short of this. Read the book back in the 80s when it came out. Huge Stephen King fan at the time. Watched a lot of the adaptations. Saw the 1990 version on ABC when I was in uh, junior high school. I enjoyed it because I loved Tim Curry. And I thought he was the, you know, and I enjoyed the casting of both the kids and the adults. I mean, I mean, it was controversial because you had sitcom stars as the adults. for the But as I told Josh, it has not aged very well. No, you know what? I haven't listened and I reviewed it chapter one with Kendra and Edward. I, I agree with what everybody's saying. You're right. It didn't age well. But here was the only justification and excuse, which I got to listen to your 
opinions on this as well, is that it was before ABC was bought by the House of Mouse. By the time they were, it was very controversial. They never should have been on ABC to begin with. It was always a family-friendly station before Disney bought it. Same thing you'd say about CBS and NBC before they kind of became edgy for competition purposes. You could put on HBO at the time because having miniseries on cable stations were scarce. All you had really was Tales from the Crypt and Hitchhiker. But you know what? ABC, I got to give them for credit for it. And around that time in the 80s and 90s, they had V, the series, and they also had It was on there. That was a miniseries in and of itself. And then they topped it off because of the success of It for ABC. They did have The Stand, which also proved to be a great miniseries in its own right. Yeah, but to be fair, V was on Fox. So was that it on was, Fox? Oh, yeah, it was on Fox. Oh, okay. It was on Fox. So that was 20th Century Fox. As for The Stand, it was only because it did well in 1990 that ABC said, you know what? We're going to stick with King up until The Shining. And I think also The Langler Years and The Tommyknockers were in there as well. And Storm of the Century. But I think after 2000, nowadays everything is pretty much on, you know, cable channels will have series and, and they and Netflix and, and as well. It's much different then than it was now. I don't understand how it would want licensing, but I knew a controversial story that I don't you know, I don't think I have to remind people and to clarify, we were both wrong on B. It was actually in nineteen eighty three on NBC. I know I remember seeing it. I just didn't remember where I was okay, seeing so it. I think Final Battle was on Fox. Yeah. So, I mean, I was only yeah, 14 right. at the time, but yes, it was on yeah. NBC. I got to get my networks right when it comes to early miniseries of that nature. But yes, I'm you know, they, they ABC later on in the early 90s went crazy with the, the miniseries that, you know what, you could appreciate because it was outside the box thinking and Stephen King miniseries were it for them, pardon the pun. So, you know what, being that the case, you're right, before Disney bought them out and everything, that was something that they were trying, which worked to some extent. Yes, it's evolved into something so much more, but you're right. It Chapter 2 just came out to theaters. Yeah. Did you like it or do you not like it? Well, here's the thing. I, I'm going to be as spoiler-free as possible because nowadays movies come out on a Thursday at night. They used to come out like one minute after midnight from Thursday night to Friday morning. They don't do that anymore. So I saw it with a large crowd on a Thursday night, and the problem was people my, – my row, um, the person next to me, she was looking at her phone most of the time or laughing when I guess you really shouldn't have been laughing, a lot of jump scares. I jumped a couple of times only because of the director, because Andy Machado, he, he is known for his jump scares, and that's pretty much all you're going to get. If you've seen the trailer for Chapter 2 with Kirsch, they only show – Bits and pieces. Yeah, they do show Kirsch in the background doing the naked lady spider walk, and they don't show what happens when she comes out of the blackened kitchen. But then you start laughing, and then when Beverly gets away, it becomes scary again, but it becomes it's, – it, it's pretty much Pennywise as a cat playing with his food before he eats his victims. Now, the problem with this movie as well, it was close to three hours, and – People were groaning because just when you thought they could have shortened the film, there were things that they were trying to cram in because this was going to be the final. Now, I understand the, the book was huge, 
and you're breaking it up for the kids and the adults, and they do do new scenes and they bring the kids back, which is great. Uh, it has a much more satisfying ending than for the TV series. I'll give it that. I'm not going to give it away. But I will spoil one thing that I found interesting. A king makes an appearance in this film because Bill is supposed to be king. And if you remember in the TV series, he writes the books that, that have the titles that are mocks of King's work. Instead of the Shining, you have the Lightning. And in Pet Cemetery, you have Animal Graveyard. Those are the props in, in the 1990 version. When Bill comes back to Derry, he does meet King, who owns an antique store and recognizes Bill as an author and has one of Bill's books. And Bill says, oh, would you like me to sign it for you? And King goes, no, I didn't like the ending as a joke because King never knows how to end his stories. And, and he's been criticized on that. People either laugh because they're like, oh, it's King. But they don't, if you know King, that's the gag. The rest of the movie, it slucks. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be as spoiler-free as possible. The jump scares are bits and pieces. Bill Sandegard as Pennywise is much better in this chapter than he was in the last one. He actually tops what he did with Georgie in the sewers with another child, which I'm not going to give away. But I will say that the rumors now that because this creature has been around for years, they're planning on doing new chapters where you're going to see him in the 1800s and the 1700s, what he was like when he came to Earth before he met the losers in the 80s. So they may go, they may have new chapters, but they may go backwards. They did a lot to make this out to be Nightmare on Elm Street 5 because in It Chapter 1, they, at the end, of, of it chapter one they were showing nightmare on the street five at the movie theater and they came out in 89 so people were saying well because that's a new line property as well as it pennywise is a new freddy krueger i don't i i don't know what they're gonna do but i will say this much you could just rent this because the the biggest problem is there are a couple good of the adult uh, hater James McAvoy and Jessica Chastain, they're great. There's very little chemistry. There's a lot more of Mike, which is great. They 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 really have made Mike more important this time around. Stanley as well. They they did a lot, and they did a lot with Pennywise. But and, and even a little with Bowers, but I don't want to give it away because it just came out. They really have. I have a theory on him, but that's when it gets to the point where. I can understand why people next to me were laughing or looking at their clocks and going, what was the point of it all? And there's really – this creature doesn't seem to have rules other than he likes to eat kids because they are scared. He likes eating things that are scared. But there's really – and he hibernates for 27 years. I mean there's like nothing else. There's no substance. But I, I think you're going to enjoy the effect a little more and what they did for, for the budget of the film. But again, it, it's too early really to start going, well, this is what happened and that's what happened without spoiling it. So I I split, like the book, I split this one down the middle, but you could just rent it and it'll be fine. You know what? I hear a lot of those same sentiments when it comes to the It Chapter 2 and a lot of the people out there thinking, you know what? This is not quite capturing the magic of the first, that it is a little bit too long, a little bit too bloated, and it does have to do a lot more, which, uh, you know, I, and comparatively speaking, 
we just we experienced a two-part episodic movie event in the Avengers with Infinity War and Avengers Endgame. And Avengers Endgame really had to do a lot more and, and tell a lot larger narrative. And that movie had to be a little bit longer because of it. And I see the same thing here with It Chapter 2 because it has to, like the book, go back and forth because the book itself goes back and forth in time between today and yesteryear with the kids. And in doing so, unfortunately, it didn't translate well onto the screen. Yeah, but you see, Infinity War also had to have closure. It had closure, but the problem is is that there was a universe built with Marvel leading up to the gauntlet. It was it was a curtain call. This just felt like, okay, well, they fought evil in 27 years. They had to reunite and then, you know, go through facing their fears to, you know, and, and blah, blah, blah. You know, you, you've read the book or you've seen the miniseries. You pretty much know where it's going to go. The question is, is what was the point? There's a bigger point, I think, with the MCU compared to every other movie theater. We've talked about this, building a universe and what it's really going to come down to. I don't really see with rights issues how you could really build a universe unless, okay, well, we own the rights to Freddy Krueger and Pennywise. We've already had Freddy versus Jason. Will we have Pennywise versus Freddy? I don't really see that happening. And who do you really have to come up to go and get? You know, Heroes only go to his villain. That's the difference between the two. This one was just very bloated, very ambitious, but I'll talk about it. I'll probably rent it. Much like the losers, once I leave, I'm not going to remember it. Once again, I'm talking to Jason Todd Feinberg. You got to check out his previous work with his awesome show, Honey Queen. Got to check it out today on many podcast formats. Continuing our horror movie countdown as far as for the fall movie season. I'm kind of concerned, my friend, because in that period of buffering time between now, which is It Chapter 2, and Halloween, there's really only one kind of high-profile, kind of major release horror movie, and that's Countdown. I'm going with The Lighthouse. I'm going with the William Defoe, Robert Patterson, The Lighthouse from the well, that's not, to me, I don't think that as, as a horror movie, and it's not listed as such. I've seen the, the video, and I understand it gets even dark when the desperation times and whatnot, especially it's a good trailer, and it's a performance movie by all appearances, both for both Willem Dafoe and Robin Patterson. But that's a very interesting idea to throw that out there as a horror flick. Well, because they're in a lighthouse, and they're starting to go insane. And you know, I, I've read stories about haunted lighthouses, but you're right. This is not a good year for the horror genre. A lot of movies have been pushed back. A lot of movies came out way too early, like Annabelle. You know, everything is so concerned about practical effects and coming out three months early to build up their universes. But, yeah, I searched. Everything got pushed back. Like you said, The Lighthouse could be more of a horror flick if that's the case. And then The Joker, as it gets into a deeper psychological thriller and the de-evolution of Arthur himself as he devolves into the Joker. It, it's frustrating because everybody keeps going around and around and around, like what happened to the classic horror film around October and then it comes out in November or even you know what? Because I, Dr. Sleep is something I'm going to talk to you about, but that seems to be coming out after Halloween and that would have been a great movie to come out before Halloween. And that first kills me too because that, that's a sequel to The Shining they had the trail for that last night as well because they had to. I mean, is you know we're seeing a Stephen King movie. We're gonna have to see his trip. But here's the problem though: 
but you're not telling me anything I don't already know. And that was the problem. But I, I, I got to be honest, I'm not really – I watched the classics this year. I watched the original Night of the Living Dead. I watched the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. There's really nothing dragging me into the Cineplex this year to see anything that is going to be – even if a 50th anniversary of something, I'll watch it at home. I mean I'm not really getting the vibe this year. Well, Dr. Sleep does come out November 8th. Again, very curious of the timing of it. I would have definitely put that in the spot that Countdown, if it truly is a horror movie, Countdown is scheduled to be released on October 20th and The Lighthouse just before that, a week before. So, I mean, you're right. There is a dearth of high-profile horror movies that, I, I don't know, for some reason are just not taking this opportunity and this advantage which is kind of a shame because you and I, over the past three years since I've been doing Pop Culture Cosmos, has seen a rise of those low-budget, very high-profit for, in many cases, of these horror movies that really turned a nice, tidy profit. And I don't understand why you're not taking advantage of it because we've seen success after success after success of these horror movies, especially if they're low-budget ones, turning a nice, tidy profit. And they're not taking advantage of it. And like we said, Dr. Sleep's not coming out till November. And then after that, you have an indie horror movie, The Lodge, coming out after that. And then Black Christmas coming out after that, which which is the traditional, okay, kill off the sorority sisters. But with the new twist, the sorority sisters are fighting back. So that one at least kind of looks like it's going to stay to the mold, but then break the mold all at the same time. I I, I think that this is... My prediction, this is the end of the horror. Even if it tries to go to home video or goes to another, it won't matter. It's not going to be the same as going to the theater. I think this is pretty much the end of the horror genre. Everything is either going to be a bunch of jump scares, and that's it. I mean, there's a great documentary on stars if you can find it, The Rise and Fall of the Slasher Film. And, you know, but Slasher Films, horror films, no. I, 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 it, it's scary enough that they're going away. Last movie I want to talk to you about as far as from a horror genre comes out the week before Black Christmas, and that is Brahms the Boy 2 with Katie Holmes. That comes out December 6th. Tell you what, that one does not look like it's going to revive the career of Katie Holmes. No, no. You know what? Katie Holmes was in a horror film that I forget where she was dragged into a fireplace with these creatures and she became one of them. I, I forget what it was called. A friend of mine once said that if she's not on the creek, she can't act. And I saw Batman Begins. And as for the boy, I watched it. It slogged as well. I know what it's about. I was surprised at making a sequel to this. But quite frankly, they could bring back Maggie from The Walking Dead again. But, you know, they're so concerned about these psychological wearing a mask with no personality and, and jump scares and, and creepy atmosphere and blah, blah, blah. I was bored with the first one. And you can be as creepy as you want to be, but there's creepy and there's having a personality and the boy has neither. And they're just going to set up a lot of da-da-da jump, da-da-da jump. And you know, nobody, it's going to be like unfriended dark web. Nobody's going to care. Once again, it's my good friend Jason Todd Feinberg. You got to check out all of his great stuff today at Honeyqueen. You just type that in H U N N I C W E E N. That's Honeyqueen. You know, he's got a lot of stuff going on there. A lot of great episodes from the past. You got to check out 
because you've dealt with a lot of things when it concerns horror movies, older movies, pop culture stuff. There's a lot of stuff that you've covered over the course of the years that people really need to get tuned into. Before we head on out, my friend, do you have any plans going forward in the future about what you want to go ahead and accomplish and get word out there about your love for all things pop culture? I should be back sometime in 2020. So any of the archives, by 2020, I should be finished and back to doing something. But what else is there really to talk about? I mean, I'd love to talk about Joker. I'd love to talk about those YouTube fan-made Joker movies and the fan-made Harley Quinn movies. And I'd love to talk well, about Are you that. still excited for the Joker coming out? You know what? They kept shoving that trailer everywhere. Godzilla, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Anything that was or wasn't Warner Brothers, they were shoving that trailer. And it feels like it's an Elseworld. I don't think it's going to be part of the – which is a shame because I think it would work. But I can't really say anything else until I sit down and watch it because now that I've seen the second trailer, I'm still confused if it's a one-shot story or if it will find some way if they are – because they apparently I think they're restarting the DC Universe where I don't think doing the extended with Affleck and Gail Godot – I think they're going to do like these one shots and maybe bring them in once in a while. Who knows? But I love Shazam, but I don't know if they can put Shazam with Joaquin Phoenix. I'd like to see it. I, I don't really know what the plan of attack of this is. I know there was that 2008 graphic novel Joker, but I don't know where this is going to go because it seems like this is the one we wanted after The Dark Knight. So anyone can be Joker. We don't really know his origin and how many people have been Mysterio and how many people have been Green Goblin and how many people have been Scorpion. Uh, how many people have, have taken the mantle of Mr. Freeze? How many people have taken the mantle of other DC villains? Anyone, Joker could have a follower and he had a daughter apparently, even though she kind of came and went. But the point being is that anyone could be the Clown Prince of Crime. That's why he's always in different designs and makeup and costumes. So I hope that they do something with it. And I hope it's not a one-shot thing because Joaquin Phoenix, he never ceases to amaze me. And I think this is going to be his best performance. And this could actually get him an Oscar nod from what I'm seeing. A lot of people have said that. The reviews have been very strong and yeah. also very non-supportive. It's either one or the other. Yeah. Uh, they're either giving him the Oscar or giving him the boot from what I've seen on Metacritic. So yeah, the, I want to talk about that with you. You know, when yes. that comes out, we, you got to put me on there for that. Cause I have a lot to say about this movie. Yeah. I'm just excited to see where, what takes place now. Mind you, this movie takes place in the late seventies, early eighties. So the I only movie you could really tie in is wonder woman 84. That's the only place where Joaquin Phoenix's Joker could really tie in unless the Batman that gets placed in the 70s or 80s along with it. Now, you could see a tie-in there. That would be something different that they would want to go for. But then you have the modern times with Aquaman. And if the Flash movie comes out and they use Ezra Miller, that would have to be the modern times as well. So it's still kind of like a mess. And we have to wait and see how they're going to weed it out. Well, but yeah, Bronze Age started in the 70s anyway. And you know they, they may go with the Trinity, which is Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman. I'm still crossing my fingers for that. So who knows? Possibilities and combinations will be endless. And hopefully we'll get a chance to talk about it as soon as the Joker comes out so we can get a better idea of what's going on with Warner Brothers, whether it is truly a one-off or whether you can possibly connect the dots to another larger part of the Warner Brothers DC universe. 
my friend, it's been great talking to you about horror movies, DC. Always great to talk to you about everything going on in the realm of pop culture. You're always welcome back anytime you want. But I know I'm going to be hitting you up in October for the Joker. So I cannot wait to talk to you then. It's just always awesome to have you part of the pop culture cosmos. Thanks so much, my friend. I'll talk to you soon. If you're tired of sifting through flea markets for rare and unique games, we can help. Retro City Games in Henderson, Nevada, only five minutes from the Las Vegas Strip, has all your favorite gaming staples, classics, and a wide selection of rare games with new stuff always appearing on our shelves. Come in and chat with Nicole or Doug about your love of games and watch as they help you complete your collection or find your childhood favorite. And don't forget, Retro City Games loves trade-ins. So if you have any Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega, Xbox, PlayStation, or even PC games, come in and visit Retro City Games today. Welcome to the new metropolis of gaming, Retro City Games. All right, and we're back to close out the show. It's the Pop Culture Cosmos. If you need a listing where we're at, because we're being played on radio seven days a week all around the world and great radio stations, check out our listings today, Pop Culture Cosmos on Facebook, where you actually get a listing of all of our great radio stations, including the folks at ipmnation.com. Hopefully you'll check out our show there every Monday and every Friday. Plus also, if you need a listing of any of the podcast networks that are on, check out our listings today at Pop Culture Cosmos, including Stitcher. And you like Stitcher, we're on Stitcher at Pop Culture Cosmos. I also wanted to mention that Inside Sports Fantasy Football, that's on Anchor. I'm also doing some work for Off the Glass, otgbasketball.com. That's Off the Glass at otgbasketball.com. My friend, you've got a great thing going on with your book. Congratulations, you suck. So share the goods, my friend. It's out. Buy it. Barnes and Noble, Amazon.com, Booklocker Inc. Check it out. Buy it. Leave a review on Amazon. I greatly appreciate it. Well, I know a lot of people out there greatly appreciating as well. It's gotten several good reviews, five star reviews on Amazon. So if you get a chance and you you get it off of Amazon, you read the book and you really like it, please support and give Josh a a great word, a five star review on Amazon.com. It would really help him out. Or if you want to go into a Barnes & Noble, you just walk right in there and ask for it. Congratulations, you suck. And they'll send it right to that store so you can go ahead and take it home with you as soon as it comes in. My friend, before we head on out, we got to talk about 131 to 140 on our top 200 video games of all time. These games were voted on by our followers of the Pop Culture Cosmos, and we couldn't thank them enough for doing so. So at 140, we've got Tiger Heli. 139, Super Smash Brothers Brawl for the Wii. You've got 138, Star Wars The Old Republic. That's the MMORPG that's still out today from Bioware. 137, you got Speed Rumbler. 136, I know you want to talk about this one, Silent Hill. 135, this one I'd like to see get translated either into a, a revised game of some type or even possibly a movie concept, and that is Police Knots. Pokemon Blue is at 134. 133 is a classic game. I hope you got a chance to play this in the arcades, my friend. And that is Paperboy. 132 is New Super Mario Brothers Wii. And 131 is Mortal Kombat 2. That's Mortal Kombat 2. So you heard the list, my friend. I know you're tracking it down on our popculturecosmos.wordpress.com site. So I want to hear your thoughts on titles 140 to 131 any of them stick out in your mind 
So we'll start at Star Wars The Old Republic. I have not played the game. I have friends who have played it, but I just remember the trailers being really cool. I remember them putting out like seven-minute trailers, and you could watch a whole collection of them on YouTube usually. They're like an hour and a half, I think. They did a really good job. I was intrigued, but I never had a PC good enough to play it. Silent Hill was fun. I only ever played the the first one. Really kind of scary game. Kind of reminded me of Resident Evil 2. Came out along uh, around the same time. They were expecting it to spawn a whole franchise. I don't, I, I, there's Silent Hill 1, Silent Hill 2, and I don't know what came out after that because I know Silent Hill came out around the same time as Resident Evil and Parasite Eve, and Parasite Eve was the, the more terrifying of the three. But well, they ran the Silent Hill franchise into the ground. They kept making Silent Hill games, and unfortunately, the quality just. They were, actually in, and they were actually in the process of making a revised version of Silent Hill, but yeah. They, yeah, remember they, you know Del yeah. Toro was involved with it. Was, it was being written by Kojima, and it was yes. being produced by Guillermo del Toro's company. We're supposed to put it out. Funny, that's the people coming up very soon with a new game. Yeah, but it sounds like Guillermo took a backseat for Death Stranding. He more like appeared in instead of really had any production credits for it. Pokemon Blue, you know, we I talked about Pokemon Red last week. I did play both of them. Fun times. Why do you think one is is a little bit higher than the other? You know, you go to the store, you could buy both copies of it, but you assume that Pokemon Red automatically comes with a Charmander, right? It's just, in Pokemon Blue, you automatically get a Squirrely. You know, you look at the picture on the website. I think it's just an assumption about what Pokemon come with what, based on people who haven't played it. Because these are the first one, the first two versions of the game, so you don't know what you're getting into. It was fun. It's just, it's pretty much the same exact thing, but there are a few less Pokemon. Paperboy was good. I do remember playing that one. That was fun. That was an arcade game. Never played Super Mario's Wii U. Mortal Kombat 2 is it's a Mortal Kombat game. You know, you played that. That, that came out around the same time as Primal Rage, if I remember correctly. And that, that was one really up the ante, I think, for the Mortal Kombat series. It did, and it, it was it had more characters, and the soundtrack was cool. I remember going to Blockbuster and renting it and playing with some friends on Friday nights, getting pizza and stuff like that. So I have some good memories of Mortal Kombat, but what what are your thoughts on these? Well, I explained a little bit of them as far as Star Wars The Old Republic. Like you said, it's something that was very cinematic, and I think that's what Bioware was going for. Paperboy, <laughs> when you went to the arcades and you would play that for about even about 10, 15, 20 minutes, you, your hands, because of the handlebars on it and the and the grips on it were really just so tight and so so abrasive on your skin that when you even after 15 minutes you're just like oh man what did I just do but it was just such such a blast to play when you're going ahead and trying to go ahead and get the papers into the right area into the right homes and all that and trying to avoid the pitfalls of all that was going on so Paperboy was really a blast but yeah I mean the Wii's version of Super Smash Brothers Brawl. Is also something a lot of people really enjoy. You know, I've heard more than one person say that that's their favorite version of the series as well. So a lot of great titles. And as we continue to go on on our Friday show, we're going to be talking about titles 121 to 130. So stay tuned for that. But if you want to sneak ahead further, our site, popculturecosmos.wordpress.com, has new listings come up each and every day and they're getting closer and closer to number one a little bit ahead of the radio shows so if you want to check out exactly what's coming up for the next 100 and some odd titles you want to go ahead and check it out today at popculturecosmos.wordpress.com so again i want to thank jason todd feinberg from honey queen for joining the show today 
I think it's been an excellent one, and we've got a lot of stuff coming up for Friday, including your game, my friend, Borderlands 3, and so much more to talk about. And you mentioned that you watched Carnival Row. I guess I'm going to have to, too, and we're going to share our thoughts on the Friday episode as well. Yeah, a really cool show. I'm interested in breaking it down, seeing what you think about it. Eight episodes doesn't really take a lot of time, and it's it's very intriguing, as I would like to say. It sounds intriguing indeed, and on the Friday show, we'll share our thoughts on that, and whether or not you should spend your time on it as well. So for Josh Peterson, this is Gerald Glassford. It's another beautiful day of paradise right here in the pop culture cosmos. We thank you for listening. And here's hoping you have yourself a great day. Ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together for the comedy stylings of Hugh for the Board Collection. When I was part of the Board Collective, my Board wife was so fat when she sat around the Collective, uh, she sat around the Collective. The Monster Sci-Fi Show is part of the ESO Network. It's sci-fi from a certain point of view. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Tangent Bound Network. Let your voice be heard. TangentBoundNetwork.com Thanks so much for downloading the Pop Culture Cosmos and stay tuned as more great podcasts are on the way. Thanks again for listening to us here at the Pop Culture Cosmos.